Good morning. This morning's reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me sounded like a trumpet and said, Come up here, and I will show you what, I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with something sitting on it. And the one who sat there had an appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, our lead pastor, Nick, is on a well-deserved vacation, and uh, please be remembering uh, to pray for him. Uh, We are each only held up by the grace of God and the things that we do. So uh, we're rejoicing at the great things God is doing here at Redemption, and uh, as he's on a well-deserved vacation, please remember remembering to pray for him. We just completed a, a series in... First, Second Corinthians on authenticity, and so today and next week we have a couple of topical messages, and then we'll start a new series in the Song of Solomon coming up. But this morning we're looking at the Book of Revelation, chapters four and five, and we just heard from chapter four, and where we're going is if we know God, we will ache. To see him worshipped. Ache. So the key is, do we know God? And I think we see an illustration in what it means to know something and to worship it when we think through other worship experiences. Uh, Let me just ask a question. What, What would you say is the most incredible worship experience you've ever had that is not worship of God. Let me ask that question again. What would you say 
is the greatest, most incredible worship experience you've ever had that is not worship of God. What can I possibly mean, right? Isn't all worship worship of God? And so, as a way, I think, to help us understand what it is to worship God, it's helpful to see worship. What is worship? It's when we really value something. We see its value. We've done an assessment of this thing, whatever it is, and we go, wow, wow. And then we have a response to it, and we worship it, okay? So with that question in mind, uh, today, I, I just want to start with a video of just watching some contemporary experiences of worship that's not necessarily worship of the living God, but just worship, okay? Let's run the video. Anthony for three. Bye. Anthony for three. For three. That's it, that's it. <laughs> it's on repeat. So there we had some uh, a basketball game, a baseball, a couple of baseball games, home runs, and taking the lead, and then a concert, you know, Green Day, and their boulevards of broken dreams. Uh, incredible worship experience, seeing the value in the great play, and the dramatic moment. And the incredible music that you resonate, you go in concert, and you're like, here they are. They're just like, oh, this is great. And there's just something about seeing it with a crowd of people, isn't it? Isn't that just the best? To hear the roar of the crowd or to be a part of a whole group that's just sitting there going, awesome music. Oh, just, I love this song kind of a thing, All right? So whether it's the roar of the crowd, the song, you know, it might even be that you... You're, out, you're taking a walk in nature. You're out on a hike somewhere. We had some hikers in this group. And you see majestic mountain peaks and incredible valleys, and you see a waterfall, and you hear it. And you just stop, and in a moment of silence, you're just... Who made this? You might meet an individual who at first didn't strike you as so hot. But then you got to know them, and you spent time with them, and over time, your breath is taken away. And you study that person, their eyes, their thoughts, what makes them laugh, 
what ticks them off. And there's just something about them. You are in awe. And you sense that there's a kind of worship that's coming from you. And you're willing to give to it. You might drive by a house and you've long had dreams to be in such a place. And you find that you look at the bank account, you look at the house, you consider what it is, and you say, I am willing for the next 30 years to make a sacrifice so that I can have this house. And as they say, you take possession of the house, and then the house returns the favor, and it takes possession of you. (laughs) (laughs) And isn't that just what happens in worship, you see? To know the thing, the object of your worship, is then to ache and to be willing to pay great price to have and be had, to own and be owned. Now, in John Piper's book, Desiring God, he talks a little bit about how um, C.S. Lewis had some real trouble as he would read the Psalms, seeing God having all these demands to praise him. And uh, just follow along as I read what Lewis, as he reflected on the Psalms, Lewis says that he, as he was beginning to believe in God, remember he came from being an atheist, and as he came to faith in God, as he was beginning to believe, a great stumbling block was the presence of demands demands scattered through the Psalms that he should praise God. He did not see the point in all this. Besides, it seemed to picture God as craving, quote, for our worship like a vain woman who wants compliments. You know what it's like to be around someone who just seems to be wanting compliments? Oh, I didn't know if I should wear this today. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Does it look okay? Oh, it looks great, great. Oh, does it really? Thank you. See, there was something about, as, as Lewis was reading the Psalms, he's thinking, how could, how could God be so needy as to demand that we praise him? That seems kind of eh, like a vain woman who wants compliments. But he goes on, does Lewis, to show why he was wrong. Lewis goes on to say, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their, I'd like to say, not mistresses, but their their beloveds, their spouses. Hopefully not their mistresses, but nevertheless, they do. The whole world does. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers, praising the countryside. Players, as we just saw in the video, their favorite plays and sports. I think, says Lewis, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Praise is the appointed consummation. When I go see a great movie, I I mean, I'm sorry, you're going to hear about it. You talk to me, I'm going to say, have you seen such and such? 
And then I'll replay part of the movie for you, whether you want to hear it or not, because it's part of my praise mechanism. You know, don't get me started on Braveheart. You want to hear me do a little Braveheart? Anyway, it's an old movie. But see, the thing is, praise is the appointed consummation of the enjoyment of whatever it is we do. And so God wants us to know Him. And to know Him is to just ache to praise Him. Like this slice of key lime pie I had a couple weeks ago. Can I tell you about it? It comes out in a little, you know, typical pie-shaped thing. And there it sits, about to be consumed by moi. The flaky crust. Oh, man, this is great. See, I'm, there I go. I'm worshiping. I'm praising the pie. So we do this. See, this is how it all works. Now, what we just read in Revelation chapter 4 is a heavenly worship scene. And in verse 1, John, as we follow the text, look at it again. John is invited to see God's worth. In verse 2, we, say, we see that he is in the Spirit. What's that mean? It means that God is making himself known. Though the eye of sinful man your glory may not see, as a great lyric from one of the old hymns. See, we can't just see God. God makes himself known. And when he makes himself known in the Spirit, it's a gift he gives to us because he wants us to know him because he's going to invite us to enjoy him and praise him. There's a throne in heaven. What that means is it's the place where all rule, all decisions are made here. In verse 3, we see that he had an appearance of, and he lists these precious stones. Precious because they have such great value. They're beautiful. They're enduring. They're rare. And this particular precious one is the only one of its kind. He's the one true God, the creator. Around this throne, in verse 4, we see there are 24 thrones on which are seated 24 elders. Now, this is 2 times 12. Just showing off here a little bit. 24. 12 in the Bible is the word, it, 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 it signifies, and there's, as you know, in the book of Revelation, there's lots of symbols and significations. 12 signifies completeness. And we've got a double order of completeness here because there's 24 elders and they are surrounding the throne. And yet they're seated on their thrones, which means they are resting in the finished work of the one around whom they are centered. They are centered on the throne on which God sits. They are also dressed in white. The fact that they're dressed in white signifies that they are clean and acceptable in God's presence. To be in God's presence, we must be clean. 
And here they are dressed in white. They are wearing crowns of gold. The gold signifies great honor. Honor because they have had God do good through them. Because all good, all good that these elders do, all good that you and I do, is because it's, a, it's God who's at work. And he bestows on them honor that reflects on him and his work in their lives. And all the thrones are centered on the throne. In verse 5, it says, lightning and thunder proceeds from the throne at the center, signifying that God speaks, and then it gets done. It's the power and the action of things. And then in front of the, of the throne were the seven lamps, which are the seven spirits of God. Here's another number. Seven. Are there seven spirits? The word, the number seven is to sing, signify perfection. The perfect spirit. And there is one spirit who is the perfect holy spirit. And so the seven spirits of God, signified in, as, as seven lamps, are that light, the, the, the light of the world that proceeds from the throne of heaven, from God the Father, the Holy Spirit, proceeding out into all the earth. In verse 6, we see the sea of glass. A sea. A sea of calm water. Water in the Bible can often picture many things, but most pr prominently... It signifies that which, which we get washed. And so here is the, uh, the, the, just the very picture of the purifying blood of, of Jesus that's central in the worship in heaven that cleanses we who are, who are troubled with sin. And here's this glassy sea. Now, even more spectacular, if this isn't a spectacular scene enough, is we see that there are, around the throne, at the center of the 24 thrones, are four living creatures. Listen to what John, what the Spirit showed John. It says, at the middle of verse 6, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. That's crazy. Wow. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes. Second time he's saying that one. Oh, look at the eyes. Look at the eyes. Covered with eyes, even under its wings. And day and night, what did these four creatures do? They never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
they are having one rocking worship service in Revelation chapter 4. And verse 9 says, whenever the living creatures give glory like this, which is all the time, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who, who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before him who's, who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And then they take their crowns, the crowns that signify their honor and all the good things God has done in and through them, and they cast their crowns before the throne. And they say this, You, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created, and there have their being. That, you know, in our vision statement, we say that the gospel renews us, it centers our lives and our families and our community on Him. The place to be centered is on God the Creator. Do you know the Lord? Do you know God as Creator? See, He calls you, even as He called John, to come in and see who He really is. Speaking of C.S. Lewis, he spoke of this world that we think of as the concrete world, right? He spoke of this world as the shadow lands. And the concrete world was this vision that we just saw in Revelation chapter 4. See, those are the real things. That's what's really happening. We live in a place where we the eye of sinful man, his glory, we cannot see. It doesn't come natural to us. And so part of what I'm hoping would be our experience this morning is that, we, that God would reveal himself to you through this pro proclamation of his word as we join with John in the spirit of seeing this magnificent worship service. And so what we see first is as we know God as creator, do you feel an ache to worship him? You might be uh, unwilling. I'm not trying to say that you should uh, start jumping up and down like we just saw at the basketball or baseball game. But you know, you may just want to go home. Make sure nobody's home. Shut the windows. And maybe have yourself a good little scream and dance in time before the Lord. The elders fell down on their face. You may not want to fall down right here. It may just feel just a little awkward. I get that. But maybe when you go home, let me shut the door. Maybe you just want to reread this passage. And as you sense that the, as the living creatures were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God mighty who was and is and is to come. And that the 24 elders fell down. Maybe you want to try that out. To know God is to ache that he gets the credit for who he is and what he's done. You know, uh, imagine that the announcer at that one, you know, remember the, who was it who shot the basketball and it went in? Uh, Carmelo, right? What if, what if they shot it up and, they, and, and somebody said, and it was LeBron who scored. 
you know, all of a sudden the, the place would have stopped cheering and they would have started booing. When the wrong person is getting the credit, the ache for the right person to get the credit is what comes out. Paul says, what's wrong with you and me? In, in Romans 1.25, he says, here's what's wrong with you and me. We've exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things, other things, instead of worshiping God. And there's an ache in us to say, I'm going to worship the right thing. I want to give glory to God. But secondly, it's knowing God as Savior. And I quickly want to take you through Revelations chapter 5. Revelations chapter 5 says this. Do we have it? Oh, good. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. There is a scene that I feel is so contemporary for us because there's an ache inside of you and me that we have a sense that something's not right with the world and somehow it could get fixed. Who could make it right? Who could make how I feel about me? I say terrible things to myself. Who could make me right with others? Why do I get in the little conflicts I do? Why do they have conflicts with me? Why do we have the terrible things we see going on in our nation? Why are we so polemically tearing each other apart? We each have a longing, we each have a conception, and we don't know how to make it right. And so there's a sense in which each of us, looking at our solutions and how they fall short, there's a kind of weeping and weeping that goes on for us because no one seems to be able to look at the scroll that has all the answers. See, this scroll is a signification of God's love for us and his, it's like in God's hand. See, the, 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 it's, it's in the, the scroll was in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. God the Father holding out the scroll and no one, it's the answers to every question. Here's how to fix everything. No one worthy. See that? No one could, no one was worthy to open the scroll. And I wept and wept. We live in an age of a lot of weeping. Until we remember this. The word from the elder in verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Past tense. Has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Seven. See that number seven? 
This is the perfect scroll with the perfect answer to all that makes us weep. See its value. See who it is who's worthy to open it. And when you see him open it, you think getting a clutch base hit in the eighth inning to drive in three runs to take the lead is something to cheer about if that's your team. This is a clutch coming through just at the right time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he could redeem all of us who are unworthy and who weep and weep. And it's the best news you've ever heard. And to see it is to stand up and cheer. It's to fall on your knees and say, holy, holy, holy. Because it changes everything. So who is this one? Verse 6 tells us the answer. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and the lamb had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. They're worshiping the Lamb. Who is this Lamb? Each one of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Hey, you're already a participant in this great worship scene. And they sang a new song saying, you, they're singing this to the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. The cross. And with your blood, you purchased for God Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Ah, can you hear the crowd? What a worship service. I heard the voice of many angels, verse 11, numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands, time ten thousand. Showing off again, that's 100 million. That's bigger than any of the stadiums we're looking at today. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea and on the earth. And all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. To him who sits on the throne, God the Father and the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders all fell down and worshipped. Can we see who God is? Can you see what a clutch play he made. He's the lamb who was slain. 
Why? Because he loves God, his Father, more than anything. And because he loves you so much that he went to the cross, that you would know his love and know his glory and know him as Savior, and that you would turn to him with everything and worship him. That you would find your life in losing your life to worship this living God. You know, the ache to see him worshiped, it really happens when you see what someone does and it makes you want to worship him and it makes you want to tell others. Like I want to tell you about the key lime pie, the way I want to tell you about different movies, the way I want to tell you about this great play I saw the other day. Whatever the thing is, and you've got your list, I got mine. We got things that would complete our joy, the consummation of our enjoying that things, these various things, will be in the telling of you. We're going to do it right out here in just a couple of minutes. How was your week? You're going to tell each other. What, what was the big thing that happened? We'll, we'll tell each other. It'll be the appointed consummation of the good things it had in your week. But the appointed consummation of how God made you is to know God and have such an ache to see him worshipped that you've got to tell others about how great God is. My hope is that for each of us, we would see the lamb who was slain for us and see his love and say, what wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this? That the king of bliss would lay down his life for my soul, for my soul. And just fall. Just fall. I pray you'll have some secret time today with the living God who loves you. Peter tells us finally this, and the ache to see him worshiped is this. He says, In your hearts, Reverence Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an account for the hope that's in you to those who would ask. But do it with gentleness and reverence. When you want to tell others about the living God, the Lamb who was slain, the lover of your soul, there's a wise way in our culture that we have to pray and hope that we can prepare and say these things to our friends and neighbors. To encounter the, God, the living God, to know him, is to have an ache, friends. An ache that we would stir up in each other to know him and to tell others about him. That we would long and pray and ask him for wisdom. How? How do we share this with our friends and neighbors? Because when we know God, we ache to see him worshiped. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful that you took John up into this vision and enabled him to record it so that we could even enter into that great concrete world of heaven now. We who live in these shadow lands where our own sinful hearts cause it so that we can't see your glory. We pray that you would use this message, this text, even this 
half hour to draw us into a, a knowledge of you and that you would fan the flames of a fire of aching to know you. And we ask that all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.